Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. doing? My name is Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a multimedia resource hub for all things related to eating disorder recovery. I personally recovered from an eating disorder and am here to inspire you to do the same. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it's worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. Each week we talk about five things related to recovery, whether that is five steps to improve your body image, five intense emotions connected to eating disorders, or today's topic of five insecurities holding you back. And our featured wisdom sharing warrior today is Miriam Mainland. Miriam and I go way, way back. She has been instrumental in the growth of Recovery Warriors, and I can confidently say we would not have such an extensive reach and impact without her. And I actually dug up our very first correspondence, which in retrospect is so cool to reread and reflect on after recently talking about the ways our decisions shape our destiny. Eight years ago, Miriam decided to write me the following. Dear Jessica, my name is Miriam, a 28-year-old woman living in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I guess I can be considered as one of your first followers after you started Recovery Warriors. Like you, I have lived and struggled with a severe eating disorder, of which I believe the label is not important since, in the end, it doesn't have to do anything with food. In my case, I have struggled for over 10 years now, so unfortunately, I can be considered as one of the quote-unquote experienced ones the ones which doctors categorize as quote-unquote incurable or unhealable. However, I do believe in recovery, and I do believe that anyone struggling from an eating disorder, whether bulimia nervosa, anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, or eating disorders not otherwise specified, can and deserve at least partial recovery. But beyond that, and far more importantly, being happy with who they are inside and out. From the first post, you reach me in each single sentence. It's like I wrote it myself, the thoughts, the feelings, but also the conflicts going on inside the head and mind. I always describe it like living inside a war zone, a black, dark war zone where it's only night. And that is exactly the reason why I write you. Like you, I have this infinite desire to inspire everyone out there struggling and living with an eating disorder. Inspire them that it can be better no matter what age, what backpack they're carrying, what severity of their eating disorder, or amount of damage it has caused. That life can be beautiful even when it seems the road will have a dead end. Every eating disorder manifests in a different way, and every eating disorder is unique, has its own characteristics, rules, habits, side effects, and additional diseases or disorders. But in the end, their shared similarity is hating and not accepting oneself. I hope you still want to read further, even though I already wrote more than I intended. 
I'm just gonna pause here to laugh <laughs> since this is on since this show is on insecurities and such insecurity can come up from taking up too much space and time um so anyways back into Miriam's letter to me as long as I live, I will try to inspire people suffering from an eating disorder, creating more openness about it and less shame on the topic. I believe there is so much work to do on all aspects since there is so much stereotyping and false information provided by the media and society. I would like to ask you whether you are interested in trying to expand the reach of Recovery Warriors. There are so many people struggling and not daring to ask for help, whether it's due to money, shame, or self-hate. Maybe it could be an idea to create a more busy blog on the website and with weekly or even daily blog posts. I would love to write them for you. I truly believe that it can be a great way to expand Recovery Warriors by getting a more active website. I believe that can truly grow Recovery Warriors. With sincere regards, Miriam Rulink from Amsterdam. And a little short story that Miriam, through working together, she was able to meet uh, her husband in the United States and then now she's married and has kids. So she has officially gone from Miriam Rulink to Miriam Mainland. And, you know, this fateful connection formed eight years ago. At the time, I just had about three people that were writing with Recovery Warriors, myself included. And Miriam was so instrumental in getting more contributors and getting her voice out there and so many others. And so Recovery Warriors has reached millions and millions and millions and millions of people around the world. And Miriam has played a pivotal role in this reach and will continue in helping us get to our next milestone of reaching 10 million. So here is Miriam introducing herself to you today. Hi, my name is Miriam Mainland, and I am the chief editor at Recovery Warriors. I'm originally from Amsterdam in the Netherlands, and Jessica and I have been working together since the fall of 2014, which is close to eight years now. Oh, wow. And I moved to California in the United States in 2017, where I'm currently living with my husband and two daughters, who are now two and four. Now, this show is adapted from an article that Miriam wrote on insecurities. Now, by the way, quick little aside here. Did you know that all of our five things shows have in-depth articles with references? Yes, 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 yes. This is not your standard show notes page for a podcast. We are now creating a synergy between podcasting and editorial content. So therefore, any podcast, you can find a well-researched article on it. So if you want to revisit any concepts or share the topics covered in any of our shows, Everything you need is over at recoverywarriors.com. Now onto the subject of insecurities. Now, we all have them. Let's just get that out there right at the beginning. Even the people that you think don't do. So just remember that. Everybody has insecurities. Whenever working with a concept, I always love to explore the origin of the word to really just anchor in, like get us kind of hooked into what, what we're going to be talking about today. So if you go to the dictionary, the etymology or the origin of the word insecure means unsafe or not fully assured, not free from fear or doubt. So as we seek to be more secure with ourselves, more safe within ourselves and assured with ourselves, right? As we seek to be more secure with ourselves, our body, our relationships, our careers, and our overall approach to life, we are ultimately looking for safety and feelings of assuredness. We want to be free of fear or doubt, which ties in so well with the previous episode on trust and how it relates to confidence and safety. So give that one a listen if you haven't already. Now, the question isn't whether you have insecurities, because once again, we all have them to varying degrees. But what's most important is whether they stop you from living the life you want to live and doing the things you want to do. 
Really, nothing holds ourselves back more than our insecurities. So let's explore five common insecurities that hold people back and what to focus on instead. Number one, you constantly compare yourself to other people. There are so many different ways we can bust our measuring stick out and compare ourselves to other people. Look at how much smarter they are, prettier they are, thinner they are, happier they are, tanner they are, richer they are. The list literally goes on and on and on. I actually had, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I did have a boyfriend once say to me, I dug up the text (laughs) for the show, and he literally said, it seems that for every woman I talk about, he talked about a lot of women, by the way, there's always a way to make them prettier, stronger, smarter, more available, wealthier, with more kids, with more dogs, with more, more, more. And I was like, ouch, man. He called me out. And I'm glad he did. That text was one of those like moments where you're like, whoa, like, it was a really pivotal moment for me to to receive that and actually take it in, you know, as like a constructive feedback because it woke me up, you know, it woke me up to how much comparison robs me of appreciating myself and the natural gifts and unique essence that I bring into a relationship because when I'm focusing on what I don't bring in or what I can't bring in, I end up creating separation and disconnection when ultimately that's not what I want. But when I focus and I truly just can cherish what I do bring and my natural essence, I create closeness and connection, which is ultimately what I want. I really took that feedback in as a major opportunity for growth and am more aware of how comparison really does take away from my ability to have closeness and connection. Now let's hear what Miriam has to say about this. They always say comparison is the thief of joy and that just can't be more true. I think I've always had a tendency to compare myself to other people, whether friends or coworkers or family members or even just random people on social media. It's that nagging feeling of inadequacy that creeps up on me when I start to compare myself or my life to other people's. When I was struggling with anorexia nervosa, this was particularly tough for me. I would look at other people and think, why can I be like that? Or why can I study and have fun? Why can I not do it all and live on my own and go to parties while also getting good grades? But the truth was, I couldn't because my mind was so preoccupied with food and exercise and fears of not being good enough that the comparison in and of itself was already unfair. How was I able to live like other people if I wasn't even able to just live with myself? And I was comparing myself to people who did not have an eating disorder. I just set myself up for failure. And the more I would compare, the lousier I would feel. And the more I felt the need to hold on to this destructive eating disorder behaviors and beliefs. And it provided me a sense of comfort. Over the years, I've learned that I don't need to compare myself to other people in order to be worthy. We don't need to be like our neighbor or friend or sibling or mom or coworker. We are our own unique person on our own journeys. And as long as I'm moving in the direction that I want to move to, then I'm doing the right thing. We do not need to compare ourselves to other people in order to be worthy. Stay in your lane and focus on shining your own divine light. 
your divine essence, your divine light may not look like hers or his or theirs. And that is because it's not supposed to. There is only one you. In the famous words of Dr. Seuss, today you are youer than you. That is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. With that said, let's move on to our next insecurity. Number two, you have a hard time saying no. Raise your hand if you struggle to say no to friends, coworkers, your boss, your family, your partner, heck, even the salesperson at the store. <laughs> I don't know how many times I bought stuff that I didn't need because I couldn't say no. But oftentimes, we just go out of our way to please or appease another person because we don't want to let them down or think bad about us. It's all good. Being accommodating and easygoing is wonderful when it is genuine. At the same time, when we overcommit or agree to things we really don't want to do, we are doing ourselves and the people around us a disservice because underneath resentment starts to build and the need for approval becomes greater and greater. I love Miriam's insights on this. I feel like saying no is hard for so many people. And judging by the amount of memes I see about this online, I know I'm not alone, which I guess is a good thing. I'm a typical people pleaser, always have been. And for as long as I can remember, I would think that people would really dislike me or be disappointed in me if I would say no to something, such as an invitation to a party or having dinner together or go to a concert of an artist I wouldn't even really like. But also when it came to work, I was, and I think I still am for the most part, always that person that if you ask them to do any task, I'll say yes. I'll even volunteer to do it if no one wants to do it. Sometimes at the expense of other needs, like <clears throat> getting enough sleep or spending more time with my kids. And it's one of these things that stems from, I think, a lack of self-confidence, as if our word depends on someone else's approval. Like, if I say no to this dinner invitation, my friend thinks I'm not a nice person. And even if that were to be true, what does that mean? And what does it say about me? I really think this is where we make a mistake. It doesn't mean that we're a bad person. It just means that we chose to stand up for ourselves and our own needs, which maybe in this case, men staying home and going to bed early. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. For me, over time, and especially in recovery from my eating disorder, I learned that it's okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries and to stand up for your own needs. Does this mean you never do anything because you don't feel like it? No, absolutely not. And that's not what I mean. It just means finding a balance of tending to your own and other people's needs. And sometimes that means saying no to a task at work or to a friend who wants to hang out with you. That's okay. Permission to say no. It is okay to say no. It's okay to set boundaries and to stand up for your own wants and needs. And I am sensing some future five things shows right now. I think we need a five ways to say no and five ways to set boundaries. So look out for those on the horizon because boundaries and self-assertiveness are such an important skill to develop. Now, although it may feel uncomfortable to think about saying no, it is important to remember that each time you say yes to something or someone else, you are essentially saying no to yourself and your priorities. You can always start small and practice saying no to small, less important things because as you start practicing saying no, it gets easier and your no muscle starts to get stronger. 
Flex your no, and we will go on to our next insecurity. Number three, you struggle to believe you are good enough. When will we ever feel like we are good enough? I think I'm not good enough is the grandmama of all limiting beliefs. It's really at the base of them all. It's exhausting and painfully shameful to have this belief system because it creates a feeling of emptiness and lack, like something is missing. It's as if the current expression of yourself is not enough and needs something to make it better or needs to be changed in some way to be better. Now, here's a little practice I want you to try. Say the words, I'm not good enough and feel what happens in your body. So take a moment, press pause, close your eyes, allow yourself to really sink into this experiment and say, I'm not good enough. Feel into your body when you say those words. So what happens for you? When I say I'm not good enough and I really allow myself to feel into that, my heart gets tight. My mind starts to feel heavy and dense. Like it's like this iron core that like just like starts to gravitate inwards And I feel this hollowness that separates me from my skin as I feel like I contract more inwards. It's like I energetically shrink and then end up taking up less space. Now, let's do the same practice, but instead of saying, I'm not good enough, say, I'm good enough. So try this out. Press pause, close your eyes and say and feel into your body and say, I'm good enough. Okay, so when you do that, what happens for you? Was there a difference when you allowed yourself to really sink in to those words that I'm good enough? For me, it was a very different experience in my body. My heart expanded. I felt like it became fuller as if like it was expanding out and uh, taking up more space. So energetically, I was taking up more space. So one was a very strong experience of energetically taking up less space, and then the other one was taking up more space. But then when we think about insecurities, if we're trying to feel safe, for many people, taking up less space can feel safe. So the real true work is how can you take up space and feel deserving and worthy of it? Let's hear what Miriam has to say about this. Not feeling good enough. The number one thing that lies beneath so many of our insecurities fears and worries it's ingrained in our nature and to some extent and in some capacity we will all struggle with this at some point in our lives we all do and it's exhausting when that voice of perfectionism gets louder and louder and convinces you to never settle with what is to never be satisfied and to always feel like it's not enough but why are we so scared of failing and of making mistakes especially because that's how we learn new things and we all know it That's how change happens. When I was struggling with my eating disorder, the feeling of not being good enough translated into working even harder in school and coming up with rules on how to live when it came to my food intake or my exercise routines and made me so strict in everything I did. It made me believe that if I get a certain grade or being hard on myself with exercise, I would feel worthy and good enough. But obviously, this was a false illusion, just fed by my eating disorder. Over the years, I've done a lot of work on changing my thoughts and changing the narrative in my own mind that perceive reality of not being good enough. 
It's a work in progress, and I think it's something that personally I will always have to work on. But the bottom line really is that we have a choice. We can choose to not attach meaning to those thoughts in our mind, telling us that we're not good enough. They're just thoughts. They'll come and go, and they don't imply truth or fact. They're just thoughts. Thoughts are just like clouds in the sky. They're passing over our awareness and can be changing in their forms and their shapes. And we can observe them just like we can observe clouds in the sky without attaching ourselves to them. As Miriam said, we can choose to not attach meaning to the thoughts in our mind telling us that we're not good enough. You are good enough right here, right now. So go ahead, look in the mirror today and tell yourself, I am good enough as is right here, right now, in this very moment. And then blow yourself a kiss. Moving along to our next insecurity. Number four, you think you and whatever you're doing needs to be perfect. Now, this one is for all the recovering perfectionists. How many times have you done something? Maybe you cooked a new recipe or got crafty and made something. And instead of just being happy that you did it, that you tried something new or that you stepped outside of your comfort zone or normal routine, you end up judging the living daylights out of it. Miriam has a great story about this that I can totally relate to. How many times have you done something, whether at work or in your own personal life, and all you could think about was what could go wrong or what went wrong? I think I've always had a mindset of, uh, I'll never be able to do that, or other people can do it, but not me. I just can't. It's a fixed mindset that kept me stuck for years. And in recovery, I learned to focus on the things that can go right, rather than just what can go wrong. I'm still pretty good, I guess, seeing the glass half empty rather than half full, but I think I've improved a lot um, in this over the years. A good example would be that like, I've always liked making things, painting, making jewelry, sewing. I've always liked to be creative. And during the early stages of the pandemic, I wanted to use my creativity to do something new and try something, make something different than what I've had before. And I saw a lot of cool crochet patterns online on Pinterest, social media, and was excited to start learning how to do this on my own. After hours and hours of YouTube and starting over many times, I made this really pretty like pink velvet winter blanket for my mom and it fit her wall. It was like so nice. And as I was working on this, I noticed how my perfectionism really took over control. So instead of this being a calming and joyful task, you know, that I was doing during this like stressful time in the world, it became something that had to be perfect and it had to be like, had to look a certain way and the result needed to be a certain way. And when it was finally done, I noticed that there were a few little errors with some stitches. There were so little that if you would look at it, you would not notice it unless you knew. And my mom was super happy with her blanket because, you know, I live in the United States and she's in the Netherlands. So it was that way I was sort of like closer to her. But all I could look at were these faulty stitches. And it wasn't until I saw the blanket laying on my mom's couch that I was like, what are you doing here, Miriam? What have you learned over the years? Why are you so hyper-focused on these super unimportant details? Let's look at the big picture here. And it was right there and then that I noticed this shift. 
and I was able to see that things don't need to be perfect to be good enough. And that the mindset of always thinking of what can go wrong is just holding me back and making me not wanting to try new things. This was another of these things that I'm not saying that when you go through recovery and you learn to work on these things that everything is going to be perfect. For me, at least, it did give me the coping skills and I learned ways to deal with this. So when I notice this creeps back in, the tendencies that I still have deep inside of me, I now know how to deal with it in a better and more healthy way. This is such an important point. When we focus on something needing to be perfect, it holds us back from ever trying to do new things. Perfectionism creates this stranglehold on any new growth possibilities. Mastery with anything takes time. And when we set these unrealistic performance standards, it ends up taking away the fun of just trying new things or allowing the evolutionary process to unfold. You don't have to be perfect to be wonderful. Moving along to our final insecurity. Number five. You can't accept compliments. Oh boy, this is a good one. How many of you swap compliments like you got this like fly swatter? (laughs) Someone's like, I like your shirt. And then you just swat it down and you're like, I like your shirt. (laughs) Just like fire a compliment right back at them. Or maybe you diminish it like, oh, this whole thing, I've had it for like 10 years. Like they don't care how long you've had your shirt. Or maybe you accept it, but then you immediately follow it by some compensatory self-deprecation. Like, okay, I'll take the compliment, but then let me make fun of myself so I feel like I can uh, balance that out. And yeah, I was recently at my 20-year high school reunion and compliments were just flying around. You know, you haven't seen these people in forever. And one that I kept getting was, Jessica, you have the most gorgeous thick hair. Oh my gosh, mine is so thin and brittle now. Initially, I would respond with more self-deprecation. I'd be like, oh, I definitely have thick hair. Yep, it's all over. (laughs) It's all over my body. And then I would start to just randomly spew off facts that I've calculated that I've spent over 40 hours a year removing my hair. That's a whole work week and like I'm a freaking Chia pet. And clearly, that's such an awkward way of accepting a compliment. Like nowhere in the mention of my hair being beautiful did they ask about my average time spent shaving and tweezing. But for some reason, I felt like I had to compensate for the compliment. Like, yeah, thick hair is great, but that means you got thick hair everywhere. But, you know, and I was able to compassionately witness myself in just all of this glorious awkwardness. (laughs) And and then through the night, right, because a part of this practice is just having self-awareness, is just being like, okay, that's not like an award-winning way to accept a compliment. So I'm going to work with this. And so I was able to work with accepting the compliments in different ways throughout the night. I am getting better at learning to sit in the discomfort of receiving a compliment and just allowing that space there. And I must say, it actually starts to feel good when you just can let a compliment sink in like a nice deep conditioner. So I love what Miriam has to say about this compliments okay this is a tricky topic for me I feel like I've always been great at handing out compliments but terrible at receiving them back in recovery I've learned that when you get a compliment you can just say thank you I know that a lot of people have heard about this but still why is it so difficult this is something that I personally am also still not always good at just the other day I saw my friend and she complimented me on my shirt 
my immediate reaction was, oh, it's nothing. It was just, you know, on sale at Target, five bucks, nothing, nothing special. But what does this do? It doesn't just make me feel bad because, you know, my response is not really great, but it also directly invalidated my friend's comment. So in this case, I ended up apologizing and saying thank you after all, but this is something I continue to struggle with and that I'm practicing on a daily basis, especially because I have young kids. You know, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. They're both girls, and I want to be a good role model for them. I want to set a good example. You know, kids are always great at giving compliments because at this age, they just think you're amazing. So they will be like, your hair is so pretty. Your eyes are so beautiful. Like, I love your dress. And it's super endearing. And it's also my daily reminder to just say thank you when someone compliments you. So this could be related to work in your relationships or just with random strangers on the street commenting on, you know, your outfit. So the next time someone compliments you on your pants, your shirt, your hair, or your lipstick color, just let it soak in and feel that slight feeling of discomfort and say, thank you. And over time, eventually it will be more natural. Let those compliments soak in. It's not up to you to decide whether someone else thinks you are good at something beautiful or funny. So if someone compliments you, do yourself and everyone around you a favor and just believe them, followed by a simple thank you. Thank you so much to Miriam for sharing her wisdom with us today. Here is a little message from her to you. I really just wanted to emphasize, you know, that we all have our insecurities and there's nothing wrong with insecurities. I think the main thing is for us to all get, you know, stronger and better in our ways to respond to these insecurities and not have them dominate our lives. Anyone wants to get in touch with me, please find me on LinkedIn. I would love to get in touch with clinicians or people that are interested in contributing to our podcast or our website for articles. Uh, we're always looking at great content. Uh, so if you're a clinician or anyone else that wants to get in touch with us about the work that we do at Recovery Warriors, please find me on LinkedIn uh, and reach out to me and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. To review, our five insecurities that hold you back are you constantly compare yourself to other people, you have a hard time saying no, you struggle to believe you are good enough, you think that everything needs to be perfect, and you struggle to accept compliments. Now remember, we all have insecurities, so there is no shame in having them. Don't feel bad if you struggle with any of the ones that we covered today. Like Miriam and I both talked about, we are still actively working on these. I think for most people, it's a lifelong pursuit in working on these. So the next time you're feeling insecure, remember that you are not alone in this feeling and remind yourself that you are more than what your mind tells you. Becoming secure with yourself takes practice, and over time, little by little, you can shift the way you feel about yourself to become more positive, confident, and self-assured. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. 
And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Yeah.